Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 255, Vitamin C, Immune Health, and Beyond. We will be covering deficiency trends, the mechanism of action of vitamin C or how it works in immune health, its role in brain function, the adrenals, and so much more. Absolutely. There are some, I can't say many, healthcare practitioners that will straight up overlook the role of vitamin C, even if they acknowledge it, A, as a tool, right? The the limited amount of healthcare practitioners that acknowledge vitamin C may think of it for only one or two of these functions. So some will talk about occasional use for immune support or maybe in an elderly care center for wound healing with infection or as an adjuvant to cancer treatment. But there are such broad uses and needs, including cortisol metabolism, reducing headaches, supporting fertility, and of course, as an ongoing supporter to aid in optimal immune response that I think is so important for us to all be empowered by. So I'm super excited for this conversation. Yes, today is going to be a really great conversation. We'll cover promising new research on vitamin C, especially in the realm of COVID-19, as well as RSV, which is right now on the rise in children. Um, But before we do that, let's just talk updates and a quick word from our sponsor. Yes, so as of tomorrow, are there 31 days in August? I'm not sure. As of September 1st, when you're listening to this. Maybe. I, <laughs> I know, asked like Byron this the other day, and he showed me like a trick to count on your fingers, and I was confused. As of any day now. <laughs> there are 31 days, confirming via the calendar. Good, good. In two days then, not tomorrow, in two days, y'all can pre-purchase our Food as Medicine for the Whole Family, Naturally Nourished Food as Medicine for the Whole Family program over at AllieMillerRD.com. We are pre-selling this from September 1st through the active launch date of September 15th. So when you pre-purchase it, it will be only $99. And um, then the the full price is going to be $149. So let's tell them, Becky, what's all included in this amazing program. Yes, so we've gone ahead and broken this module down into life cycle as well as kind of putting it all together, getting started module on um, food selection and going through your pantry, how to reset your pantry with naturally nourished principles, how to grocery shop and meal plan for the whole family, taking into account maybe different people's carb and protein needs, as well as their dietary preferences. We have a section on being a taste adventurer where Miss Stella makes an appearance um, and we go through kind of a scorecard of tasting different fruits and vegetables. 
Noah gets to make an appearance in the baby led weaning video. Um, so we've got about five hours of novel or brand new video content. And then what we've done is we've gone through the archives of like everything that we've ever put out there in terms of podcast and YouTube and other resources. And we have curated it into where it fits within the life cycle. So everything from the fertility, pregnancy, baby led weaning stages to toddlers and kids to support for teens and adults and even graceful aging. Yes. And one of my favorite parts of the program is getting your family on track or getting all members on board and having kind of that tough love approach of, you know, we, as we've talked on past episodes of the podcast, food freedom comes with feeling amazing in your body. And it's your job as a parent to empower your child with feeling the best they can be with optimizing their health, which import impacts, of course, their mood, as well as their growth and development, as well as their future lifestyle disease risk. So we talk about how to navigate parties and how to build balanced lunches and snacks and bring your children or teens into the process so that they can also feel empowered by these tools versus, uh, my mom only buys the boring stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And really the importance of harnessing your why in the process. So I think that that part's really big, as is an entire component on HPA access and stress response. We talk a lot about brain health and mood, including anxiety and depression, as well as ADHD and some shocking statistics of these pathologies on the rise, as well as some of the harmful side effects of drug intervention and how you can use strategic supplementation and diet as the first line of defense. I can't tell you how many times I'm consulting with an individual for my high price point of an individual consult at almost $500 when an individual, a mother, a father is at the crux of putting their child, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year old on Zoloft or another SSRI drug or Ritalin or a stimulating drug, which we know have harmful addictive dependency effects and they're not eating in a balanced blood sugar approach. And so this really gives you some of these foundational elements that when we're eating with optimized intake of glucose regulation, we're also going to have better concentration and focus. We're also going to have better mood stability, better behavior, less outrage. We're going to also have less inflammation. So our performance, our, you know, your daughter in gymnastics, your son in the soccer games are going to feel the best they can feel. So we've put a lot of time and energy into how we run our households and really how we'd like to inspire you to use food as medicine as the foundation of optimal wellness throughout the age cycle. We even have a component on tools for your at-home dispensary or naturally nourished pharmacy, if you will, aside from supplement lines. What types of topicals do you need for bites, scrapes, bruises? What are considerations for dynamic immune stressors? What not to do, like watching out for the Tylenol and aspirin, and what to do and how to support your child with viral and cold and flu? Yes, I think just for that section alone, this is going to be worthwhile for a lot of parents. And then each section will have supportive handouts to go along with it. So grocery lists that you can print out and actually use to navigate their grocery store with this whole food approach, a document on mastering your macros to figure out what your macro breakdown should be. 
based on your goals, and you can do this for every member of the family. Um, and then we even have a layout of a weekly meal matrix yes, that you can get that. the whole family involved in and try to simplify your meal planning. Yeah, we talk about meal planning strategy and we give you an outline of a completed matrix, the concept and approach to it, and then active worksheets that you can use. And this program also comes with a four-week meal plan. So tons of resources, tons of content, and really I think something that marries the entire longevity of the Naturally Nourished brand, if you will, kind of all of the primary elements that we feel are foundational, essential tools. So go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. Make sure you check out books and programs, and that is where you will find Naturally Nourished Food as Medicine for the Whole Family. If you purchase it before September 15th, you will get the pre-sale price at only $99. Yes, such an important resource, and I'm so excited to be able to send that link like when people are thinking about becoming clients, I think it's just such a foundational piece to really, you know, do a lot of that legwork yourself for only 99 bucks. So absolutely no brainer. Um, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Santa Cruz Medicinals. Yes. So Santa Cruz Medicinals makes potent and affordable CBD or cannabidiol. And cannabidiol is a compound that we make in our own body that works in harmony with the endocannabinoid system that we are all wired with. This endocannabinoid system has the impact on our moods, anxiety, stress response, inflammation, sleep patterns, and so much more. And so when we add quality CBD as a tool or a supplement add-on to interact with our endocannabinoid system, we can regulate a lot of these mechanisms, which are going to play a part with, again, pain management, neurological function, and inflammatory processes. The problem with the CBD industry is that it really isn't regulated. So a lot of the products out there, like gummies, lozenges, and the new kid on the block, you name it, whatever it is, add your CBD to your smoothie type thing, um, you know, you might be paying for something that really doesn't provide efficacy or clinical outcomes. Microdoses do not provide an impact on the body and oral CBD will not work unless you're getting a potent delivery. So we love Santa Cruz Medicinal because they are clean, they are pure, they are lab tested, and they're also of course gluten-free and the carriers that they use in their products are quality as well. So there aren't going to be stabilizers or additives. In fact, their CBD oil, which is my kind of standard go-to concentrate, I'm gonna grab here off my countertop, only combines MCT oil. And even the MCT oil they use is less processed and you'll know that through the impact of the UV influence on the what was clear when you purchased it cbd infusion becoming pink that's the antioxidant capacity of coconut like if you've ever cracked open a fresh coconut you'll see as it oxidizes and is exposed to oxygen and light that it will create a really beautiful pink hue this is something showing that integrity of that whole food ingredient and so the cbd infused mct oil comes in a really concentrated dose i have the 5000 milligram cbd bottle so one milliliter or one dropper full is going to provide 40 milligrams of cbd and the santa cruz medicinals teams recommends that you do a challenge of 100 milligrams of cbd a day for one week to see how different you feel checking in on those areas of mood sleep inflammation and stress response. 
So doing 40 milligrams in your morning cup of coffee, uh, 30 to 50 is kind of the sliding scale I say, so this is right there in the middle, and then maybe half of an ml midday, and then maybe another 40 at bed will be a great way to distribute that. This can be taken with or without food, and if you do have sleep issues, you may also want to check out their deep sleep capsules, which have valerian and L-theanine in there. So you're getting a nervine herb and also that amino acid that can help with concentration and focus and alpha wave expression, which can also support quality of dream in our REM cycle. So go on over to scmedicinals.com. That's scmedicinals.com and use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. When you use AllieMillerRD, you will save 15% off your order and receive free shipping. All right, let's do it. So speaking to vitamin C, I think the first area that comes to mind where vitamin C kind of came onto the map is is with scurvy, right? Um, but, you know, we're not seeing scurvy anymore in the general population. At least um, not now. No, at least not right now. Um, but, you know, deficiency is still incredibly common. So let's talk about maybe some of the history of, of vitamin C um, deficiency and, and current trends of deficiency. Yeah. So, you know, this was really the first awareness of a vitamin uh, creating disease and, and creating death as an impact. So it was back in the early 1600s, 1602, when there was a Spanish fleet that was taking an expedition to the New World. And during this voyage across the Atlantic Ocean, the entire crew developed symptoms of bleeding gums, spotting of the skin, and many cases of death. It took a couple decades later for a British military surgeon, John Woodall, to suggest the consumption of lemons, limes, or oranges as a cure for this mysterious disease. However, for centuries that followed, the cause of this fatal disease was still unknown, and it was eventually discovered to be scurvy, which was caused by a vitamin C deficiency. So consumption of vitamin C is necessary for human survival. I, re I repeat, consumption of vitamin C is necessary for human survival. And actually, humans used to endogenously have the ability to produce it. However, over time with evolutions, there has been issues in the mutations of a particular gene. They call it the GLO gene, G-L-O. The GLO gene, which codes our enzyme responsible for catalyzing the final step of vitamin C biosynthesis. So many hypothesize that this may be due because vitamin C was essentially readily available in the human diet for thousands of years, you know, because any form of plant essentially has vitamin C. But during these prolonged voyages, the fleets did not have access to any fresh foods, and that's where they were losing out on this essential vitamin. So today, the idea I think that is just really interesting is that we are, a lot of us are relying, not us in the listening field, but a lot of Americans and those individuals that are eating high processed foods may go three, four, five, six days without having anything that was like a living plant matter if they're just eating their cereals and they're just eating whatnot. So it is important that we are seeing vitamin C deficiency rear back. In fact, one in eight adults in high income countries had hypovitaminosis or low levels of vitamin C 
and one in 14 adults in, again, high income, these aren't third world countries, are found to be clinically deficient. And this is likely due to demand as well as lack of intake of fresh produce. So vitamin C is a water-soluble molecule that, again, we've lost the ability to produce, so it is essential in the diet and it's required for several metabolic functions in the body. It's considered the most available antioxidant. So with oxidative stress, the vitamin C plays a big role in donating electrons to scavenge harmful free radicals. And so toxicity and the industrialized movement has driven increased demand of vitamin C to date. So wild, and I did not know that little gem about humans losing the ability to manufacture it. So good to know right i know it's, it is interesting and I, again i kind of think that's also this connection of when we look at illness and mm-hmm. we know how many individuals are as you'll see the impact widespread on vitamin c how many individuals are not consuming whole real foods right what could spar again and how many diseases or symptoms we're managing again with medications when food really should be that initial entry point and we've evolved from the hunter-gatherer days again to have berries to have leaves and such yeah so we could see scurvy come back if we're not careful you never know yeah. <laughs> um okay so we're going to nerd out today on the immune connection of vitamin c but Really briefly, I want to just kind of dynamically cover all of the different conditions in which vitamin C plays an important role from the top, starting with asthma. Yeah, I kind of put them alphabetized for ease. So they might be all across the board, but we'll flow by alphabet. So from asthma, vitamin C plays a role in dilating the bronchial airways. It also inhibits the histamine-induced constriction of airways, so it aids in reducing excessive histamine response, which can help with respiratory function. It is needed in the production of epinephrine also, which is the neurotransmitter that plays a role in mitigating asthma attacks. Um, So we think of like EpiPen, Mm -hmm. right, or epinephrine for severity of an inflammatory reaction. Vitamin C is required for that mechanism as well. And then autism is the next one down. And so we see um, with vitamin C supplementation, improved symptom severity and sensory motor skills or scores um, in those who are um, supplementing with vitamin C. And this is likely due to interaction with dopamine synthesis. So now we already have two connections to the adrenals, Mm -hmm. epinephrine and dopamine both being made by the adrenals. And we talk about how vitamin C is highest concentrated stored in the adrenal glands. And there's two direct mechanisms right there. We've also seen that vitamin C has a sparing effect on glutathione. So when we're talking about oxidative stress in the brain or really oxidative stress anywhere, we know that glutathione we call like the grandmama matriarch antioxidant in vitamin C, like the kid's sister. But when we optimize our vitamin C status, that's going to reduce the depletion of glutathione. So that's important when we look at conditions of glutathione deficiency that vitamin C could hand in hand play a role there. And then dyslipidemia or abnormal lipids, we see that vitamin C protects LDL from oxidation. So whenever I run a cardiometabolic on a client um, and see a high level of oxidized LDL, vitamin C is always pretty high up there in terms of my interventions, Um, but essentially helping to make that LDL less sticky, less oxidized, prone to atherosclerosis atherosclerosis yes um, and more can, important than the total yeah, ldl is the yeah. oxidation of the ldl exactly of course. exactly and, and can also prevent white blood cells and oxidized ldl 
from sticking to the blood vessel walls and can also lower lipoprotein A or that clotting risk factor in some people. Yes, then there's hormonal influences as well. So we know that there is an influence on estrogen metabolism. Vitamin C can actually lower the enzyme that converts or aromatases testosterone to estrogen uh, in the ovaries. We know also that in the world of progesterone, vitamin C can increase serum progesterone levels. In fact, women who took 750 milligrams, that's just over one capsule of our BioC Plus, 750 milligrams of vitamin C per day had an increase in progesterone levels of 77%, which is quite phenomenal. So especially as we go into individuals that have high stress, they have that pregnenolone steel mm-hmm. where they're converting progesterone into cortisol, those again, probably because that's probably the mechanism. Yeah. I just said it, (laughs) you know, so, you know, these individuals, because the adrenals need that vitamin C Mm -hmm. for the cortisol metabolism that's being metabolized. And so giving your body that extra vitamin C, if you're under high stress, also, if you're looking for fertility, we've seen vitamin C to actually induce ovulation and in, in, and enhance, excuse me, the effect of those that were doing fertility treatment and can work in collaboration with fertility treatment plans. Ooh, that was a tough one to get out. (laughs) (laughs) And super impressive. I mean, why not go to vitamin C? Even before doing like a bioidentical progesterone, I think that's just a really great foundational tool. Absolutely. We see impact on male fertility. Low levels can play a role with damaging sperm's genetic material. So again, that antioxidant status, protecting the DNA. Uh, We know that supplementation of vitamin C actually can improve sperm count, motility, and structure, and that's in human trials. And also in the world of men's health, that vitamin C can protect the prostate in men. Okay. And then with the world of fatigue, back to that adrenal connection, I think that's a piece of vitamin C's role with chronic fatigue. Uh, But we also know that vitamin C is going to aid in absorption and um, transport of iron. Yes. Um, And so that's why we'll recommend using an acid with like your salads, Um, but um, aiding in, in iron uptake and then also acting as a precursor to carnitine as well as our um, cortisol production and, and several hormones that will affect our energy levels. Yes, there's been supplementation in active randomized clinical trials, seeing reductions of fatigue with use of vitamin C supplementation. And I think especially calling out that iron uptake in the world of pregnancy. Yeah. So yeah. when we think of safe tools, vitamin C is one that pretty much across the board, even the most conventional OBGYN would be like, yeah, I think you could take that. Mm-hmm. Um, added on to your prenatal, your EPA, DHA extra, and your quality probiotic. Uh, this would be one to really consider because also a lot of women, when they are in that second trimester and really busting out red blood cell formation for baby, that's when a lot of women go anemic as well. So I think that that'd be a good one to focus on. Yeah. Um, and then in the world of GI health, we know that when there is inflammation in the gut, we're going to use up that antioxidant vitamin C a lot faster than in a healthy gut. And then thinking about 
in, in the world of like wound healing, even healing ulceration of GI tissue and reducing that GI inflammation. Yeah, and we'll nerd out a little bit on gut pathogen and LPS as we get into the meat of things with the immune system connection. We've seen vitamin C playing a dynamic role on headaches and hypertension. So there's actually neural tissue that can explain the clinical benefit. There was a double blind trial on headache frequency with vitamin C used as the intervention against a placebo. And we saw reduction of frequency and severity of headaches. In the world of hypertension, we know that vitamin C aids in the ability of blood vessels to react appropriately to relaxation signals. And also it is going to increase nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator, as well as that mechanism with epinephrine, as we mentioned earlier, which would play a role with blood pressure stability. And then in the world of inflammation, we know that low vitamin C in the body is linked with certain inflammatory conditions and that it's inversely related to C-reactive protein, that broad systemic marker for inflammation. And likely this has something to do with the fact that it will increase glutathione. Yes. And along the lines of methylation, we see that deficiency of vitamin C can alter methylation patterns, especially marked in cancer cells. And it serves as a cofactor for your methylating enzymes. So again, taking this full picture to optimal health and fertility, getting that vitamin C, you want that methylfolate or that bioactive folate for optimal baby development and growth. But having that C can help that methylation process in activation. Um, and then in the world of sleep apnea, um, we see that vitamin C can improve endothelial function or the health of our blood vessels in patients with sleep apnea, leading to improved outcomes in sleep scores um, and being able to come off their CPAP machines. And that means also less obesity, all yep. the good things that yep. come from the scares of poor sleep, which we've covered just a couple weeks ago on the yep. podcast. And then the last two I'll hit. So in sports, we do see less post-workout soreness, so less muscle soreness. Uh, we know that vitamin C is required for collagen synthesis, right? So this could be even extending into the world of hair, skin, and nails, but vitamin C in the world of muscle does protect the muscle from injury due to trauma or training. And then also because it reduces the cortisol that's induced from exercise, cortisol, remember, can drive muscle catabolism. So we've talked about with training, how practicing like the four, seven, eight breath and kind of sealing your adrenals from that stress response of the exercise can help with post-recovery. Well, giving yourself some vitamin C post-recovery can also decrease that cortisol surge, which could break down and destroy the muscle. And then you're getting the dual impact of the vitamin C supporting the actual repair process. So you're stopping the injury drive and you're also providing the nutrient needed for the repair. And then finally, telomeres is what I noted. I found a really interesting study that showed that vitamin D, excuse me, vitamin C slows down age-related telomere shortening in human cells. So we associate telomere shortening with advanced aging and mortality, and it's the mechanism that vitamin C protects the DNA from oxidating or from basically getting damaged. Okay, so <laughs> super widespread, a ton of benefits and clinically supported um, trials in humans, um, but this is kind of like where we were discussing in our CoQ10 episode of the podcast, a lot of this is going to be attributed to that potent antioxidant function 
or the ability to reduce oxidative stress in a lot of the conditions that we just covered. Um, so let's now talk about the complex and essential role of vitamin C on immune function. Okay, so this is going to get pretty nerdy and then we'll go back into like bioavailability <laughs> and other mechanisms of vitamin C, pairing nutrients with vitamin C for best outcomes and food is medicine. So buckle up buttercup. Here we go. Uh, vitamin C plays a role that is quite vast in the immune system. It supports various cellular functions of both the innate and the adaptive or acquired immune system. So we see a role with vitamin C on T cell function, B cell function, and natural killer cell activation as some of the mechanisms. We know that vitamin C itself also exerts antiviral properties by supporting lymphocyte activity, so white blood cell response. It increases interferon alpha production. It modulates cytokines or the inflammatory mechanisms of your immune system fighting a pathogen. It reduces inflammation via that mechanism. It improves endothelial dysfunction. And this is where we start to raise our eyebrows or I start to get really excited. I'm like, oh, well that then there again is connecting now more respiratory focus. More When we're thinking about what's going on in the season with the Rona, we start to see now six, seven, eight different impacts that could be really dynamic here. And we also see that vitamin C can actually restore mitochondrial function and that it directly could be viricidal or again, antiviral. So in that sense, we can see that deficiency is going to result both in impaired immunity and in higher susceptibility to infections, as well as hindering both immune and metabolic function. Yeah, and vitamin C, that's a good point. So it's both ends of the spectrum. You're, you're more vulnerable, if you will, and then also the army isn't ready to employ, mm -hmm. if you will, or deploy to battle. Uh, vitamin C plays a role in various tissues specific to the immune process. So just to kind of walk you through, we look at the mucosal layer of the body. So this could be your alveolar um, or epithelial or your gut epithelial. So this could be in the respiratory or the gut. And in the mucosal layer, we're thinking of neutrophils and macrophages having a direct activity. In the interstitial layer, we're going to see macrophages and natural killer cells directly influenced by vitamin C. And then in the vascular layer is where we'd see those T cells and B cells. And that's where we have that learned or memory of the immune response. So it's really wild to know that, you know, all of those from, from the mucosal, from the inside kind of out into the depth, right? We have roles and players or troops, if you will, all that directly take um, feedback, or I guess you could think of like vitamin C as the conductor or as the, I don't know, sergeant, if you will, sure. of your immune system response, which is quite diverse and widespread. Let's talk um, actually about like what natural killer cells yeah. are and, and link it back to vitamin C. Yes. Yeah, so this is a really cool study that I found in the Journal of Cytotherapy. And I want to just lay the forefront of kind of what vitamin, excuse me, what natural killer cells are. We've talked about them in immune uh, podcasts before, but they are effector lymphocytes of the innate immune system that control several types of tumors and microbial or pathogenic infections by limiting their spread and subsequent tissue damage, okay? So research has highlighted the fact that natural killer cells are also regulatory cells engaged in this reciprocal interaction with dendritic cells, macrophages, T cells, and endothelial cells. 
What I'm saying is that natural killer cells can basically limit or exacerbate an immune response and natural killer cells can also aid in preventing the actual tissue damage, which is what drives the onset of the inflammatory process. Natural killer cells seem to hold a lot of promise in the efforts to improve our red blood cell function as well as our stem cells, and we see a huge role of function of vitamin C and natural killer cell connection with organ transplant, as well as anti-tumor genesis, so fighting against tumor spread in the body, and controlling both inflammatory infection and autoimmune disorders. So natural killer cells are within the world of your white blood cell, your effector lymphocytes. And again, they're in the innate, so they're not the T cells and B cells that have memory of exposure. They're basically just ready to attack and destroy or prevent further attack on tissues that are healthy. Okay, and then there have been some cool studies on actual vitamin C with yes. the natural killer cell functions. So let's unpack those. Yeah, so the Journal of Cytotherapy, um, this came out in 2015, and we'll link the study in our show notes, showed that ascorbic acid promotes proliferation of natural killer cell populations in culture systems applicable for natural killer cell therapy. And they saw that vitamin C use resulted in more proliferation or more growth of natural killer cells. And this was a 2,362-fold increase. So remarkable, right? Not like seven times. Like 2,362-fold increase of vitamin C supplementation on the proliferation of natural killer cells. They also saw directly as a secondary measure, so beyond just seeing the natural killer cells go up with all of those awesome mechanisms that they have, they saw a direct increase in the red blood cell and stem cell maturation and proliferation, which we know that in that hemopoietic system, this is where we make those learned, acquired memory cells for our immune system to maintain immunity to things and that the natural killer cells differentiated faster or basically matured and were able to respond faster with the vitamin C supplementation. Okay, super cool stuff. And and that was in cell culture. Um, what about in vivo or in the human body? Are we seeing similar activity or outcomes of vitamin C supplementation? Yeah, there's another really solid research study where they took a 60 milligram dosage of vitamin C per kilogram of body weight. So the average participants ranged from 3,000 to 5,000 milligrams a day. So that's three to five grams of vitamin C dosage a day, which is pretty much what we recommend as a pulse up if immune compromised or if onset of infection of something. And they saw the absorption of vitamin C intracellularly into the lymphocytes was at 18 to 25% higher than um, those that did not use. And then they also saw that the increase of the natural killer cell activity was up by 78% and restored the T and B cell function with the dosage of vitamin C. Okay, pretty impressive in the human body as well. Yeah, and you know it's significant because lymphocytes have intracellular vitamin C concentration that's higher than your plasma, right? So for testing, most research studies out there are going to look at plasma vitamin C levels, but you know this is what's essential for the natural killer cell is that 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 lymphocyte that interior, and that's when we do white blood cell proliferation and we're testing micronutrient status. We're always looking at the lymphocyte mm -hmm. versus the serum. We've talked about that in other episodes. So this really shows that this is 
cellularly bioavailable stores of vitamin C going up upwards of 18 to 25%. And in the serum, as we'll connect, we can often see blips in the radar, but the kidneys are really good at filtering excessive vitamin C. So that's a point to make as far as when we're getting into the nitty gritty of absorption. Um, seeing that impact of vitamin C enhancing T cell proliferation and function is huge for immune. And when we think of that in constructs again of pandemic, we keep seeing the myopic V or uh, schmack schmeen not maybe being effective on these variants, which are not dynamically structurally very different as we discussed in our vitamin D and DVOC variants episode. But when we get more proliferation of our T cells and our natural killer cells are optimized, we are armed, ready, and prepared to remember recurrence of structural variants of virus that could even vary upwards of 20%, like we talked about the individuals that had SARS back a decade plus ago and are still showing immunity to COVID. And that way it doesn't matter the variant, it doesn't even matter the virus or if it's bacterial or another type of infection, you're securing your health house by having ample vitamin D status. Yeah, C in this case, right. No, but I mean, D is good too. I mean, they both are very intertwined and that's why we did two separate episodes on the both of these (laughs) because we feel like this is the time for our audience to really get it, Um, you know? And so I think that the requirement of development of the function of your T regs or your T regulatory cells via the FOXP3 gene is one of the direct mechanisms of this demand of vitamin C. And then the other big one that I would say that I'm hitting home is the natural killer cell activity. Okay, and then what about macrophages, which are kind of this first line of defense? Um, How does vitamin C's antioxidant function work in that case? So to kind of back up as far as inflammation and antioxidant function here, um, rather than inhibiting the NF-kappa-B pathway, which is uh, the kind of predominantly studied inflammatory pathway, we know that vitamin C actually inhibits the NLRP3, which is known as the inflammasome pathway. So this is a inflammatory pathway that tends to have or lean more immune mediated. So vitamin C plays a role in resolving the pathway of the inflammasome. And the inflammasomes are the part of the innate immune system defenses that primarily function to keep infections from spreading. So this is really remarkable, right? You can have a viral load, but is it going to spread and infect to a level of severity? So when vitamin C plays a role with resolving the inflammasome pathway, then that means that it can prevent that backfire of a dysregulated inflammatory cascade, which can create infection spread. Vitamin C helps by actually inhibiting inflammatory events within this inflammasome pathway. And that's that same pathway that we talked about in our melatonin updates um, with melatonin and, and DVOC as well. Yes. And then vitamin C has the ability to bind to toll-like receptors, which can prevent the binding of pathogens. So it actually can be antiviral in that mechanism. And that's where I was saying it can prevent a, a virus from actually carrying or entering the cells and then can prevent replication of said virus. Also, we know that vitamin C can inhibit pathogen expression or spread throughout the system. And that's where we employ those macrophages to do the work to kind of eat away at um, the, the, the virus once it enters the body. And the vitamin C plays a role with that expression. Okay. And then let's talk vitamin C specific to COVID and maybe RSV as well, um, just because 
it's kind of that season for children right now. Sure. So, I mean, all of these mechanisms are, are very connected and we already talked about, sure. you know, the T cell memory component, which would be really important to have armed and ready to make these memory cells. But there is evidence that vitamin C in collaboration with quercetin, the co-administration of vitamin C and quercetin has a synergistic antiviral action. And this is the overlapping antiviral and immunomodulatory properties of these two compounds that can impact the capacity to um, ascorbate the vitamin C to actually recycle the quercetin. And so they play this like favorable chicken and egg uh, dance, excuse me, where they increase each other's efficacy, which is super cool. So there is current evidence that vitamin C and quercetin could be used prophylactically um, in high-risk populations or in healthy individuals, especially if you're looking for all the other benefits that they Mm -hmm. offer, Um, and for actual active treatment of COVID-19 um, there are some studies that show that it can be an adjuvant um, to promising pharmacological agents, so used in conjunction with remdesivir or convalescent plasma. Super cool. Um, and then there's more. Yes, there is. So vitamin C's antiviral properties actually support the lymphocyte activity. And remember, that's where we see that vitamin C absorption rate significantly increased. I talked about interferon alpha production as a role that we see with vitamin C, that's modulation of cytokines, and that it has that direct virucidal. So all of those things are very related to why it could be a good tool at this time. Uh, Quercetin is a flavonoid, and this is um, gonna play a role in other biological activities. In fact, quercetin, more well-researched on anti-RSV role, and so we can see the viricidal effects of quercetin interacting to fight the viral particles that play a role in binding. So it's the HRSV surface. Um, There's an interaction with the F protein on the HRSV surface, which is an important region, region for adhesion of the viral infection or basically driving infection of RSV. Um, So there has been research confirms impact of quercetin on preventing RSV replication. So an individual could be exposed, but quercetin status or supplementation with quercetin would prevent infection. And a big part of the reason that when we formulated our BioC Plus, we put quercetin in there. Yes. I mean, it plays a huge role with respiratory viruses that we've seen over time, including stereotypes of rhinovirus. Um, We've seen impact on even polio virus type 1. There's an inhibitory contribution against um, various forms of pathogen that are pretty severe disease drivers. And we see that it also reduces the plaque formation by the RNA and DNA viruses, which RSV is also included, as is herpes simplex virus 1. Um, So just HSV1, we can see a big impact with quercetin in the mix when paired with vitamin C. And what's extremely frustrating, or maybe awakening, maybe we can see this as a light, I suppose, who knows. But the BMJ, the British Medical Journal, which is released weekly with kind of some tip tended to be cutting edge research studies, had an intensive care protocol using IV high dose vitamin C for the actual treatment of severe COVID-19. And the protocol included a multi-center randomized clinical trial and the results were supposed to come out September of 2020. And that trial has been stopped. There's been no results and here we are in September of 21. The 
study itself concluded at the end of July of 2020. And for whatever reason, I am going to postulate that it's because they were very favorable. And that that might remove the EAU authorization of using experimental schmackschmeens if there were treatments that we could say worked. Sure. And we know that IV vitamin C was being used like in early days of COVID in China for sure as well. Yes. But I'm sure you can't find that anymore. Right. There was (laughs) one study. I found one randomized clinical (laughs) trial because these are always the gold standard. You always want to see placebo versus active intervention in humans, right? I did find one um, that looked at COVID-19 in a tertiary care hospital, and it was a group that received the intervention of uh, 50 milligrams per kilogram a day of IV vitamin C. And then the other group got only standard therapy. And they did see those that used the um, IV vitamin C were symptom-free earlier, on average two and a half days less time of symptoms, and also less hospital days when compared to those that just had the standard therapy. But it wasn't as compelling as this big multi-center study that I, I really wanted to see the outcomes of. What is really interesting is the connection of the SARS-CoV um, receptor connection with the quercetin and vitamin C. So when we look at the type 2 pneumocytes um, entering the angiotensin converting enzyme 2 receptor, the ACE2 receptors, we know that SARS-CoV-2 um, is going to bind to that site, and that's been discussed now for over a year. But we do know that the hydroxyl groups of quercetin and its derivatives actually bind, so there's competitive inhibition. Uh, And that's what makes this a really unique mechanism beyond its broad antiviral, anti-inflammatory, and um, immune-regulating properties. I think that's a similar mechanism to the hydroxychloroquine that's used as a therapeutic as well. Who knows? So yeah, antiviral in vitro, in vivo, there are immune-modulating effects of quercetin and vitamin C. Um, I think further studies are needed to confirm its ability to truly inhibit SARS-CoV-2, but I think that using that as a tool, there's enough evidence from past studies on past viruses and known mechanisms of action to say that this could be a really necessary life-saving intervention. Right, and we know it to be safe, inexpensive, easy to acquire, at least as of now. Um, Let's talk a little bit about our formula, BioC Plus, and why we formulated it this way. So I mentioned that it's quercetin combined with vitamin C for all of the reasons. Um, But one really cool aspect of our BioC Plus is that it's using whole food compounds, including acerola cherry and bioflavonoids in the 600 milligram per capsule dosage. Yes. So acerola cherry is one of the richest sources of ascorbic acid, and it contains a plethora of phytonutrients uh, like carotenoids. Um, We see a lot of uh, phenolics in there. We see anthocyanins and other flavonoids. Uh, This fruit contains an exorbitant amount of ascorbic acid in the range of 1,500 to 4,500 milligrams per 100 grams, which is about 100 times that of orange or lemon. And the reservoir of phytonutrients with acerola cherry aids in the high antioxidant capacity itself, which further protects the very delicate ascorbic acid. So it's actually been clinically reported that the vitamin C of acerola is better absorbed by human beings than the synthetic ascorbic acid. 
We also know that the acerola itself can favorably affect the absorption and reduce the excretion of ascorbic acid when combined with ascorbic acid. So what we've done in our formula is we've provided you 600 milligrams of vitamin C as ascorbic acid and whole acerola, and then 200 milligrams of acerola itself, and then citrus bioflavonoids, which are going to combine things like hesperidin, which has anti-inflammatory properties, and ruatine, and then we're also going to get quercetin in each capsule at 50 milligrams. And let's talk about maybe use and, and how we would use this on a day-to-day function, as well as how we would pulse it up or, or dose it up specific to need. Yeah, so about two to three capsules. You could start with just one capsule a day, I suppose, but generally, you guys like I'm, I'm kind of a more is more kind of girl, but um, you know, I think two capsules is a general recommendation for foundational health, which is gonna put you at 1.2 grams of vitamin C per day. So this could be like with healthy pregnancy or um, if you're looking for an actual, int- or just wellness, right? Um, especially in cold and flu season, you may wanna consider then bringing in a third. Mm-hmm. If you had any of those symptoms or conditions that we listed, then you'd be going from the 1,200 milligrams to 1,800 milligrams by adding that third capsule. So maybe one with each meal daily could be appropriate if you're dealing with fatigue or the muscle soreness or you're dealing with some of the blood pressure or other issues noted, um, or you have a stubborn virus that you're dealing with. Like if you are an HSV1, then definitely I would say three to four a day might be more appropriate. And then again, when you are under immune duress, you'd want to up that to bowel tolerance. Now this is going to be somewhat buffered, so you should be able to tolerate that three to five gram dosage. So at five to eight capsules daily is going to provide you that range of that three to five grams or that 3,000 to 5,000 grams, excuse me, milligrams, that three to five grams or 3,000 to 5,000 milligrams per day, which we've seen really clinically effective when the body is actually battling or fighting something. Yes, I think that's about what I did when I had COVID was like six to eight a day and and spacing them out, you know, multiple times throughout the day is going to help with that bowel tolerance piece of the puzzle. Um, But basically all that means is if you start to have loose stools back off, you've likely, you know, taken enough. It's not a concern of toxicity with vitamin C or anything like that. Nope. And uh, this is when you could also pulse up with seasonal allergens. Mm -hmm. So quercetin and vitamin C play a great role there. And like, for instance, when my Stella was getting all of the bites, uh, she was hit pretty hard at farm school with fire ant bites. Um, So if we're having a histamine response Mm -hmm. from a sting or a bite, this is one that you could also provide for your child. And with Stella, we ended up going on the days that were pretty severe because she had some serious inflammation going on. We were doing three capsules a day with her, and she's at 42 pounds. Right, and you're just opening those still into like a bite of yogurt, putting in a shake. Yeah, it tastes really fabulous. Yeah, yeah, that acerola (laughs) cherry is really nice and tart. Yeah, so this has a nice flavor profile, uh, unlike the next thing I'll recommend to support as an added tool, um, NAC and Celantiox. Uh, the BioC Plus tastes fabulous. You can mix it into a bite of almond butter or yes, absolutely. This would be a great thing for going back to school for mm-hmm. your kids. If you're already doing the vitamin D balance blend liquid, that's an absolute essential 
the multi-avail kids and the kids biotic, if they actually are ill, I would do those all prophylactic or preemptively to just keep their immune system happening. And then you do a couple scoops a week of the naturally nourished grass-fed whey for the immunoglobulins. And that's gonna have a great form of NAC. But then if your child is sick, this is where we'd kind of level up. And that's when I would add those open capsules of cellular antioxidants, especially if it's um, upper respiratory gunk because that NAC is going to be an expectorant. So we're going to thin out and clear mucus and phlegm. It is sulfurous. So that one, we, for the cell antioxidants, we would want to mix that with like applesauce or something like that. And that tends to work all right. And then you could put a capsule right away of the bio C plus right with the cell antioxidants. And that'd be a great way to really give a boost for your child's um, antiviral support. Yeah. Let's, while we're on this topic, talk a little bit more about um, just general respiratory health for kiddos, especially in um, the season of increased cases of RSV. So maybe some other food as medicine approaches. Yeah. So we got that as like the supplement level up. And then the only other supplement I would say would be elderberry syrup, which is another really great one for immune regulation, inflammatory regulation, and also uh, as a syrup can often be a nice thing to kind of aid with mucus and phlegm. So I think of liquids, liquids, liquids. So keeping them hydrated, monitoring their urinary output is key. Um, We look at bone broth as a great way to get electrolytes in. So like bone broth popsicles would be fabulous. Um, Or if you can get them to sip on, you know, lukewarm bone broth works really well too. Often if they're sitting next to mom, that's something that they'll do while watching their favorite movie or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then um, keeping them hydrated with water. Uh, You can also do some diluted um, juices or make like a lemonade with honey and turmeric. This would be a great thing to consider. We can put our turmeric lemonade Uh on the... um, links from today's show and that's a great one that you can dilute out for your children or add a little bit more raw and filtered honey as well would be totally appropriate and then the just like for um coronavirus and really any upper nasal respiratory virus the exlear nasal spray keeping those nasal passages moist and keeping movement from exposure so there's less adhesion of virus into the um, epithelial lining, um, that's going to be a great way to support reduced infection risk. And if they are sick, also help to move the buildup. So nasal syringe in those that are young, um, like the bulbs to actually suck um, would be really important. And then the X-Clear spray as soon as they can do that, like even with age two. And using essential oils, uh, eucalyptus, rosemary, and thyme have all shown to be antiviral against RSV. And um, you could do this in a vaporizer also, dehumidifier, or humidifier vaporizer would be best actually in this sense to keep it moist and rocking. Awesome. Um, And then you mentioned the cell antioxidant. That can be given, it looks like, beyond six months of, of age. Absolutely. So, you know, that could be brought into breast milk Mm -hmm. um, or if they're baby led weaning at that time, which would be right on, um, that'd be a great way to just mix in with a bite of food. So just find something like a, you know, I said applesauce or like a pudding or something like that. Coconut yogurt would be a great thing. Cause I would keep, I would keep dairy out. That's my last recommendation for mucus phlegm. So coconut based yogurt would be really beautiful delivery to get that in. Um, and that's a really fantastic, again, if sick, 
first line of defense. Don't be giving them that children's Motrin or the children's Tylenol Mm -hmm. because they're spiking fevers. Give their body what it needs to battle. Don't suppress a part of the immunological process. And on that, let's just talk real quick because it's been a little minute about NAC and Celiantiox and stocking up on that as we go into cold and flu season with it being at risk for timeline of when it's available for sale. Yeah, I know. I'm scared to even say it on here, but we've talked about it on the podcast before uh, that NAC, because it has been such a powerful therapeutic with pandemic stuff, um, has actually been pulled off of Amazon. I don't know about other sites. I haven't been monitoring super, super closely, um, but it's completely pulled off of Amazon. Like you can't get it with an Amazon search and probably more to come that you may not be able to find it with a Google search either. Um, So the FDA is working toward making it into um, classification of a pharmaceutical versus a supplement. And likely that's because it's so damn effective. (laughs) Absolutely. And so this is, again, another kind of call to action, if you will. This is one that we really, I take cellular antioxidants daily at one, twice daily, and had done prior to pandemic for the various mechanisms of glutathione and and acetylcysteine. But this is one, especially in your household, to have one extra bottle minimum, maybe even half a bottle per family member, kind of thinking through of if infected, something that you'd want to dose up. And the the BioC Plus seems at less risk, but still a fabulous tool for all of the mechanisms we're discussing. Yes. All right. Stuck up on those guys. Yes. Um, Okay, let's talk a little bit just back to vitamin C specifically about absorption, bioavailability, and where vitamin C is actually stored in the body. Sure. So ascorbic acid is a pretty delicate molecule and it can have difficulty in the absorption process, which is why we did again add in that acerola cherry. But ascorbic absorption is sodium dependent. Um, The best way to increase your circulating levels and really most importantly what we want to increase is those intracellular levels are going to be multiple daily doses. Um, And you know when we're looking at big picture we have seen a lot of studies and a lot of like on trend uh, clinics are using the IV therapy with vitamin C. IV is 100% absorption of the vitamin C, but it's heavily filtered in the kidneys. So the circulatory levels will spike or go up and then they will normalize within hours. So we're seeing clinically that it may be more effective or more bioavailable to do doses of 600 to 1200 milligrams each, which would be one or two capsules, two to three or four times daily spread out by about four hour windows so that we can get that bioavailability and that intracellular delivery versus just a serum spike. Okay, I think that's a really good point. Yes, and then it is highly concentrated first in the adrenals, followed by the brain and third by the lungs, which is likely Mm, also again, yeah, like we talked about the epithelial of the alveola or the lung cells, right? And so when we're looking at that respiratory histamine connection and inflammatory, I think that that's a big piece of the importance of vitamin C. And we know that we will deplete vitamin C status through chronic stress, um, exposure to pollutants, so smoking would be a big hit to vitamin C status, demands like pregnancy and lactation, and then um, even things like surgery, which would cause the demand from the repair mechanisms of that collagen synthesis. Okay, and then we alluded a little bit to the vitamin C gut connection, but I want to hear about um, this interesting research on LPS. 
Yes. So the vitamin C plays a big role in the balance of our gut biome, which I didn't know this until I was researching for the episode. I love teaching myself new things. Um, We've actually seen that vitamin C deficiency can increase endotoxemia and gut dysfunction. So especially for individuals that are doing a gut cleanse or have known candida overgrowth or a gut pathogen in imbalance in their gut, like Klebsiella or, or you name it, if they have dysbiosis, they're higher at risk for endotoxicity or the toxicity of that bacterial overgrowth. We also know that LPS or lipopolysaccharide inhibits vitamin C absorption by decreasing transporters. So the endotoxin LPS actually reduces plasma levels of vitamin C driving depletion. And we have seen modulation or improved outcomes with oral dosing of vitamin C. So this LPS would be elevated from dysbiosis or leaky gut or yeast overgrowth in the gut. And this LPS will get into the bloodstream driving inflammatory processes. And this can go beyond the gut. This can go systemically driving leaky gut and autoimmune dysfunction. Super interesting. I did not know any of that about the gut connection. Let's just dig in a little bit deeper on a couple of specific medical conditions that are associated with low vitamin C. Yes. So the biggest is going to be infections. So we talked a lot about the role in immunological health, but from really anything from H. pylori to sepsis, which is a full systemic infection that typically results in death, we see high influence of vitamin C. Also in surgery recovery and pain management. So I talked about the athletic performance and the sore muscle component, but we see this in just inflammatory pain. So it could also reduce the need for over-the-counter NSAID drugs, which could have then, of course, an unfavorable impact on cardiovascular health. And then via the anti-inflammatory effects of vitamin C, we see the whole metabolic world. So we've actually seen the meta-analysis looked at 13 randomized controlled trials that demonstrated significant glycemic control with a dose of one gram a day. So again, that's that standard two capsules of BioC plus, and they saw an increase in glycemic control. The mechanism that was suggested in all of the 13 trials was the reduced oxidative stress and enhanced insulin receptor function. Okay. Super cool. Makes and then, sense. Yeah. And then, sorry to cut yeah. off. I just get so excited. <laughs> um, the other thing I think is really interesting is when we keep going on this idea of like hemoglobin A1C and glycosylation and the stickiness factor and the lipid mm-hmm. oxidation, right? That's that dual mechanism. So now we're reducing the stickiness, we're reducing the oxidative stress, the inflammatory process beyond the actual blood sugar control. So the pathology of the disease of diabetes becomes substantially less severe. Yep. Even cooler. Yeah. So we see this extending to cataracts, to obesity, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, cancer, all neurological conditions, and then really severe oxidative stress in terms of beyond surgery and trauma burns. um, So like burn units, we've seen some solid studies with vitamin C for tissue repair. Super cool. Um, And let's go in a little bit deeper into just vitamin C and the brain because there's some cool stuff there too. Yes. So it plays a key role in neuronal growth. 
Um, it aids in the production of the regulation of our neurotransmitters. So we identified its role in epinephrine. We identified the support of dopamine in concentration and focus. But we also know that vitamin C plays a role in norepinephrine, serotonin, your endorphins, which has another pain-relieving peptide influence, glutamate, and acetylcholine. And acetylcholine is really that uh, transductor or communication signaler that aids in neurotransmitter expression. And likely a lot of that has to do with the role on the adrenal glands again. Yeah, and the yeah. brain is yeah. the secondary storage tissue. Okay. So I think we always talk about the adrenals as the first, mm -hmm. but the brain is the second and the lungs are the third. Okay. So remembering that, I think that we have to think of the demands of the body and the deposits of the body often sure. mirror what that body needs for function. There was a really cool study that was done by the Frontiers on Aging and Neuroscience back in 2019, and they looked at plasma, vitamin C concentrations, and cognitive function, and they found a significant association between vitamin C plasma concentration and performance on tasks involving attention, focus, working memory, decision speed, delayed and total recall, and recognition. Okay, awesome. And, and again, a lot of that having to do with you know, redu reducing oxidative stress in the brain as well in terms of the cognitive health. I imagine there's a lot of anti-aging stuff out there as well. Absolutely. So, and as we age, we accumulate this buildup of oxidative mm -hmm. stress. So I think absolutely one that we would think of in our artillery, and we're thinking this naturally nourished food as medicine for the whole family life cycle, vitamin C would definitely be one that I would have all my aging parents on, sure. no doubt. Yep. Um, and then finally, before we talk food as medicine, let's circle back to vitamin C and the adrenals. Yeah, kind of the star of storage, if you will. So both the adrenal cortex and the medulla. So the cortex is that part that is going to regulate the corticosteroids, the cortisol, DHEA, and aldosterone, and the medulla, which has those neurotransmitters produced and expressed both tissue centers are going to accumulate high levels of ascorbate. And ascorbic acid is a cofactor both in catecholamine biosynthesis and adrenal steridogenesis. So basically, the production of catecholamines, which are your stress-responding neurotransmitters, your dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine, and your adrenal steroid hormone production. Okay. Awesome. So supporting that gland and um, also helping to reduce the level of stress hormones in the blood, which is pretty cool too. Yeah. There was a study that was done by the American Chemical Society and it was under scientists say vitamin C may alleviate the body's response to stress. That was put out in 1999, <laughs> back, in the, back in the day. Uh, and this looked at vitamin C reducing the levels of stress hormone in the blood and also seeing typical indicators of physical and emotional stress as well as loss in body weight, the enlargement of the adrenal glands and reduction in the size of the thymus gland and the spleen when vitamin C was used as supplement support. So that, that reduction in size of the thymus and spleen would likely be, dis be um, demonstrated because of the less stressor to the immune system, if you will. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there was a randomized clinical trial that looked at high doses of ascorbic acid for regulation of blood pressure and cortisol and uh, subjective responses to physiological stress. And they saw compared to the placebo group, the ascorbic acid group had less uh, blood pressure elevation in both the systolic and diastolic. And they saw the subjective stress response was uh, far greater in those that had 
the vitamin C as far as far more resilient, and they had a faster salivary cortisol recovery when supplementing with vitamin C. Cool. Okay. And all the more reason, you know, we, a couple of years back, I guess it is now swapped out um, and put the BioC Plus in our adrenal rebound bundle. Um, And in that adrenal rehab program that we have, there's a... um, there's a shake. I forget what it's called. The Adrenal Rehab Shake. It might be Adrenal Rehab Shake. Yeah, yeah it's also on like the blog. Lemon um, creamsicle. Yeah. We'll, we'll link that for yeah. sure. And it, it uses BioC Plus directly in it. Absolutely. And, you know, so I think what's really compelling as we transition into food talk is understanding that most of these studies are done with ascorbic acid. And remember, about 20 minutes back there, we talked to you guys about how ascorbic acid is actually not that highly available to the lymphocytes or to the intercellular function. So if we see an 18 to 25% enhanced absorption with the acerola cherry combined with the ascorbic acid, and then we have this synergistic impact of quercetin in the BioC+, you can only imagine the clinical Mm -hmm. outcomes that we would see in human trials if they had that synergy versus the lower quality ascorbic acid. I think I'm going to go take my bio C plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk food sources and maybe best ways to get vitamin C in. And especially like in the keto world, I feel like this was one that I struggled with when I was tighter keto mm-hmm. at least. Um, cause I wasn't doing a lot of, you know, citrus or even berries. So let's talk about our favorite sources. Yes. And that's why we love metabolic flexibility because you get more diversity and nutrient density, generally speaking, and fun flavors. So (laughs) Um, I do think of berries for sure. So blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, blueberries, all really fabulous sources. Kiwi is a fabulous source of vitamin C and one to not forget to send in your kids' lunches. Uh, you can teach them, if you cut it in half, uh, you can teach them to just use a spoon to scoop out yeah, the inside. It's kind so of fun. fun. It is, yep. yeah. It's kind of cute. Um, so kiwi's a really great one, and they have some kiwi varietals that you can even eat the flesh, so you could just slice it um, and mix it in with the strawberries maybe in their snack container. Uh, also thinking of tropical fruits in the world of fruit, so papaya, guava, mango. This is all really fantastic add-ins that are very dense in vitamin C. And you would just use, like I use mango daily pretty much because I get the big old frozen Costco bag. Well, not daily, maybe four times a week when I'm making a green smoothie. Uh, I use that as my frozen fruit and I still am well into ketosis by consuming that. You know, about a third cup of frozen mango is a great source of vitamin C without having too dynamic mm-hmm. of a glycemic impact if you're having full fat coconut milk and our naturally nourished grass fed whey and adding in flaxseed and greens and all the other things. Awesome. And then um, even within the vegetable world, we're looking at broccoli, cabbage, leafy greens, bell peppers, all as good sources of vitamin C, even some of our fresh herbs, Brussels sprouts, sweet potatoes. So beyond the fruit world, um, we do get quite a bit from some of those vegetables as well. Yes. And I think in the savory space, that's a great reason to keep herbs in your kitchen. You know, not only do they add flavor, but really fabulous antioxidant support. And if you are doing, you know, more of a 
it maybe you're on a FODMAP protocol or you're doing lower fermentable carbohydrates, so you're not getting in those cruciferous vegetables or whatnot. The herbs are one that tend to be really well tolerated and have synergistic effect on microbiome resetting and could be something added even to a carnivore diet to play with kind of starting to move the, the line a little bit. Sure. I see parsley specifically um, called out, and that's a really easy one to incorporate, especially if you're growing it in your garden and can just kind of toss it into things. Totally. Yep. And then rose hips are great. Um, often I think of this more as like an herb. I had bulk rose hips yeah, when I was doing like yeah, yeah. tinctures and yep. things. And so you could get rose hips in like a tea bag mm-hmm. uh, or you could pulse it in a coffee grinder. And then um, those could be used in smoothies or something like that. Kind of like you'd use like a teaspoon of maca. You could use a teaspoon of rose hips or probably acerola cherry as well. Yeah. I'm sure that there's some powdered superfood blend out there. Yeah, I was using the rose hips a lot in like tea infusions post postpartum um, and it was in this book that I was doing for like postpartum recovery so I wonder if it's because of the iron vitamin c connection that intentional placement there. or tissue recovery yeah. all or progesterone all rebound yeah. <laughs> antidepressant all anti-inflammatory yep. all the things yep <laughs> Love it. So if we were to put all this together, you know, as simple as adding some berries next to your eggs and maybe adding some leafy greens into your eggs or doing Greek yogurt with a little bit of raw and filtered honey and some sliced strawberries, um, incorporating a side dish with your lunch. So maybe you have those leafy greens as the base, but adding in some roasted sweet potato or doing a tropical inspired salad and doing a ginger vinaigrette and doing slices of mango or papaya in there could be really fun. And then also considering with your evening dish, doing some of those cruciferous roasted vegetables and adding the fresh herbs to your protein. This would be a really great way to get abundance and have a really tasty day. Totally. And then incorporating citrus, I think in terms of like citrus zest, um, into dressings and things of that nature. Um, and also doing, you know, citrus in our water, I think is a really good way to get kind of that daily hit as well. Yeah. I've been, the more that I've been relying on green tea as my daily beverage over coffee, I just find that it's a, such a welcoming delivery for a slice mm-hmm. of a lime or lemon or even grapefruit wedge or something like that. So I think that's a great way to get that additional boost. Yes. Awesome. Okay, so we covered so much ground in vitamin C, immune health, and beyond. And we always appreciate you guys taking the time to listen, to learn more about functional medicine and how you can really feel empowered, especially as we go into this next cold flu viral season. And as a special gift to you guys, we are going to offer 10% off a bottle of BioC Plus. You can use the code BioC10 over at AllieMillerRD.com. And we hope that that works as a fantastic tool for your household, just as it does in our homes. Also, if you are enjoying the Naturally Nourished podcast, take a moment over on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play, wherever you are listening, Podbean, and leave us a five-star review and a sentence or two of what you're enjoying. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.